The second reading is taken from John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Enon near Salem, because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives a spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. This is the word of the Lord. Very much, Lexi. If you can keep your Bibles open to John chapter 3, that would be great as we go through this text together. Let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Lord, we give you great thanks that you are the Word that created heavens and the earth. And we thank you that that Word um, cares for us, that it has become a human being to live for us and die for us. And Lord, we thank you that word can still give us life. And we pray that all that I say will point people to you, to your greatness and the life that is in you, that we might receive this life with great joy and live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few years before um, Jesus was born, Elizabeth uh, miraculously gave birth to John the Baptist. We don't know anything about the earlier part of his life, but we know that he became an influential prophet in Jesus' days. He had such a strong following in Jesus' days uh, that if we go back to John chapter 1, the first chapter, the apostle John has to talk about how John the Baptist is not the Messiah a couple of times. In the middle of that grand prose about the word becoming the flesh, we, there are two parenthetical remarks about John the Baptist. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn to John chapter 1, you can see it starts within the beginning, that grand narrative there. But in verse 6, 
There's this parenthetical remark. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning to that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. John the Baptist was so popular that John the Apostle has to stop the, the beginning, the introduction, to say John the Baptist was not the Messiah. He was only a witness to the Messiah. It actually happens again in verse 15. That later on, that after that, the word, made, word was made flesh. In verse 15, he says, John testifies concerning him. This was he of whom I, I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Two times he has to stop and tell people that John the Baptist was not the Messiah. We know that people from all parts of the Roman Empire came to Jerusalem to be baptized by John. Later on, when Paul goes all the way to the tip of Asia, to Ephesus in Turkey, we find that there are people who have been baptized by John's baptism, but they have not heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit Jesus. We also know that the cult of John the Baptist um, lasted a couple of generations because he was so influential. He was this charismatic leader who had a big following. Now imagine if you were one of his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples. Imagine you left everything to be with this rabbi and uh, because he was at the top, uh, he, he, he was making this big difference now, but people were leaving John the Baptist to the next big thing. And that's what's happening in our text in John chapter 3. Look at John three twenty six. These disciples, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on one side, uh, uh, with you on the other side of Jordan, the one that you testif- testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. This is why I think Christmas is bad news for some, isn't it? Christmas was bad news for the followers of John the Baptist because the followers of John the Baptist thought that John the Baptist was the the solution to the world's problems. The baptism that their rabbi was preaching was revolutionary. It told the Jews that being Jew wasn't enough, that they needed to be washed of their sins, that they needed to live their lives in a different way, pleasing to God. And it was making such an impact in Israel and across. And the disciples of John, uh, John the Baptist, was, they were all in into their rabbi's work. And so they're so invested in this work, they can't even, they can't detect the irony of what they're, uh, what they're saying to John they're, they're in, in, in their complaint. They said, look, the one that you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. What they're saying is, yes, Rabbi, the one that you said was going to happen, was going to come, the, the thing that you said is going to happen, well, it's happening. And we don't like it, is what they're saying. Christmas is bad news. Because it said that the person whom they invested their life into was not the Messiah, was not the solution. Last year, I had a friend um, who visited... Uh, from San Francisco. She was a bright girl um, who, graduated, who graduated from Yale and Columbia and was working for a nonprofit. Um, and we talked about a few mutual, mutual friends, and we talked about uh, then it, the conversation moved into sort of life in San Francisco. And she was telling me 
how all the there, there's you know the Silicon Valley and all the entrepreneurs um, are going are pouring into San Francisco, and she was telling me how uh, uh, everybody has a sort of similar sounding pitch to the, the the thing that they're developing. They're saying this this app that we're developing will revolutionize and change the world in this way and that. And she sort of rolled her eyes and you know told me, ah, it's not. I mean, it's just a little app. But it wasn't just the entrepreneurs. She was thinking about her life. And um, she was rethinking about what she should be doing with her life, how to, how to make her life count. After all, she had been given some of the best education in the world, and she felt like she had to contribute to changing, in, uh, changing the world for the, for, for the better. And she carried this burden with her. We talked about this, but here's why I think Christmas is bad news for uh, the San Francisco, uh, the people there, my friend and people like her, people who are trying to save the world. Christmas says this. Christmas says that no human idea, how brilliant, um, uh, however brilliant they are, no human solution, how great they may be, can be the solution to the human problems. It's not just, uh, not just um, ideas, but no person can be the Savior, no matter how brilliant they are, righteous they are, loving and kind, wise and savvy that they are. No one person is going to be the Savior of the world. That's what Christmas says. John the Baptist wasn't the solution. He wasn't the Messiah. Marx wasn't the Messiah. Mao wasn't. Bush wasn't. Obama wasn't. C.Y. Long wasn't. Whoever will be the CE of Hong Kong will not solve the problems in Hong Kong. They can't. No one person can be the Messiah. Communism wasn't the solution. And we know that through, uh, through history. Big government won't be. Capitalism won't be. Umbrella revolution or democracy that it might usher in. You know, these things won't be the solution to Hong Kong's problems and to the world's problems. I know that we're in this, in the midst of sort of technological boom and there is sort of this the optimism for the future, but no technological development will solve the world's problems. We know that because of Christmas. Christmas says that there is only one Savior, that they can only be one Savior. It's Jesus, the Word made flesh. Let me quickly um, go on to say, add that this, of course, doesn't mean that all political systems are the same, all people are the same, or whatever. Um, I simply mean that we, we, we need to take the Bible's diagnosis of the world seriously. Yes, we can make the world better, but our problems, in the end, are so big that in order to solve all the world's problems, we need a fundamental change in this world, and we need only some, uh, someone that only, a solution that only God can provide. So God sent his son to the world on Christmas. And that's why also Christmas is good news. It's good news. Christmas says that the Savior that we have been longing have come. While John the Baptist, um, his disciples were worried about the waning influence of their master, John doesn't seem to be worried at all. John never said that he was the Savior. In his disciples' words, he testified and bore witness to the Christ that was to come. He used his attention, the attention that he garnered, to point away from himself to Christ. 
just to take a look at the things um, that he said about Jesus. So back in chapter 1. So if you can flip back to chapter 1, verse 29. This is what he said when he saw Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God, who take away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant um, when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then he calls Jesus God's chosen one in verse 34. In the next paragraph, he takes some of his disciples and say, now go to him. So they go. And while the disciples are worried that they're leaving to go to Jesus, the people are coming to Jesus instead of John the Baptist, John rejoices in his waning influence and power. He says in verse 29 that the bride belongs to the bridegroom, that the Israel and the people who have come do not belong to him, but they belong properly to Jesus. That, that John the Baptist, that he had been waiting for and listening for Christ's coming, preparing the way, and now Christ has come. He rejoices that people are now going to Christ, that they have found salvation in Christ. And what a great news that is, that Christ has come, that the Savior has now come into this world. Think about that. The Savior has come. God didn't leave us alone in this world to ourselves. And how miserable the world might be if he had. In many ways, in the last couple of you know, centuries since the scientific revolution and whatnot, many things have gotten better. We live longer lives, more people are fed, all those things. But if we are still left to ourselves, I don't think there would be much room for optimism. UNICEF, uh, United Nations Advocacy Organization, Organization for Children, um, just published a report last week um, which said that 2014 had been one of the worst years for children. There were wars, violence, atrocities, and diseases, diseases, especially in the Middle East and Africa. Up to 15 million children are directly were directly involved in some violence in this past year. Globally, the report said that an estimated 230 million children live in countries that are torn by violence and armed conflicts. The executive director of UNICEF said, children have been killed while studying in the classrooms and while sleeping in their beds. They have been orphaned and kidnapped, tortured, recruited, raped, and even sold as slaves. Can we save ourselves? We saw this turmoil in Hong Kong. In the U.S., riots take place because of racial injustice. A plane was shot down in Ukraine, and one disappeared in the middle of the ocean. Military Islamic, uh, Islamic movements have taken uh, control in many parts of the world. ISIS reigns supreme in many parts of Iraq, Boko Haram in Nigeria. Dictators still flex their muscles in North Korea and other, other places, and in, 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 there is much economic uncertainty over Russia and many other places. Imagine if we had to save ourselves from all these problems. Wouldn't we quickly get overwhelmed and exhausted? What if we didn't have a Savior? What if Christ was never born? Here's the good news of Christmas. Christmas teaches us that human judgments are not the last judgment. Human justice is not the last justice. 
The power that humans exercise over each other will not be the final power because God had sent his son, Jesus Christ, a savior in Jesus. Listen once again to John the Baptist's words. The one who comes from, uh, from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. You see, Jesus is above all. His words are above every human words. What we cannot do, he can and will do. Jesus knows what it means to transform the world, not because he's winsome or convincing, but because he comes from the very heart of God the Father, because he is the word that created heaven and earth. That God has sent Jesus into the world shows that God will have the final say in all the affairs of this world. That God cares deeply how we are. God cares deeply how the world is. That God loves the world. That he sent his son to save it. And if indeed God has come to save the world in Jesus Christ, and we know him, then our lives would be transformed into being people who are witnesses to that Savior, who are pointers to that Savior. That's what John became. And that's, this is how John answers his disciples in verse 30. He must become greater, and I must become less. And I love the, how King James Bible puts it. He must increase, and I must decrease we love we we live in a world where people work very hard to point others to themselves we work hard so we could feel important we could uh, we take this exam and that uh, and so we can put letters after our names Um, we try to make a partner in our firms or um, go from assistant manager to senior manager or whatever we want our children to uh, be raised in the right way that that we might feel important we try so hard but you see john the baptist he wasn't interested at all in all these things he didn't say i am going to work hard so that i could build a f- bigger following so that others um, the people will be drawn to me first and then next to jesus when his disciples started to leave him he rejoiced he never wanted that sort of attention but he wanted christ to receive it So he didn't mourn his waning influence as long as people found Christ. Because we are not saviors, but Christ is. Because he wasn't the savior, but Christ is. It's not about us. It's about Christ. So he must increase and we must decrease now that the king has come into this world. We must be a people who point to this humble king, who know that there is a different kingdom that is coming, that has come, because uh, that there is the Savior who has come, that there is true peace and justice, that there is true forgiveness in this world. We must be people who point to that king and not to ourselves. We must become signposts of this kingdom. In front of the church that I worked um, in the U.S. once, there was this uh, one-way sign. 
one-way sign. For non-drivers, it just indicates that there is this one-way. It's a one-way traffic, single-direction traffic. It was an old sign. It had been there for ages. It was bent out of shape. It had little dents all over it. But it did the job. Everyone from afar, from close up, could see what the sign said, that there is this one way. And I think our lives are supposed to be like this, like, the, like, the, like that sign. We are supposed to point to Christ. We're supposed to say, there is a Savior. There's one Savior, one God, one way to know the true God in Jesus Christ, that all that we are, all our strengths, all our, all our weaknesses, all our experiences, all that God has given us, should, we should use to point people to Christ. Our strengths could be used to tell people about Christ, couldn't they? There are doctors here in this church, doctors who use their gifts to heal people, but a doctor who knows their limits, who knows that they do not have the ultimate power to give life, eternal life to people, to say to the patient, I can lengthen your life here this much, but, could, but, but, but eternal, I can't give you that eternal life. They're being used as signs. A teacher who teaches all the things that they're supposed to teach, but also taking time to pray for their students because of, that they know their knowledge, however clever they become, they cannot save themselves. They're being assigned. A person who works for the finance industry in Hong Kong um, uh, um, to make sure that, uh, that money goes into the right places, investments are right in the, uh, made in the right way, but who also work in the industry and say to that industry, we, I do not worship money. Jesus is my Savior. In their action, in their words, they're being signs to Christ, who is our Savior. In our jobs, in our homes, in our character, in our words, we can point to Christ. And let me say, not just with our strengths, but in our weaknesses as well. Our limitation is a great gift that says we are not saviors, but Christ is, isn't it? You know, we all have moral failures, and we, know, we hide it. We hide it as much as we can. Um, but if, as, we, as we become aware of our moral failures, as you come to know me, I know the person who... Um, no, who's most keenly aware that uh, I can't save people are people like Charles, who have lived with me for the last four uh, months, and uh, Mary, who is very close to me, and my parents. They know that I can't be anyone's savior. And as we uh, c- come to understand our limitations, our moral failings, our weaknesses, we can use those to point people to say there is a savior that has come into this world. And as we rest, I think, in Hong Kong, that we can continue working 24-7 in this world, in this work-crazed Hong Kong, um, that we tell people that we can't save the world, but there is a Savior in Christ. So use your strengths, but use your weaknesses to point people to Christ. Because 2,000 years ago, God had sent a Savior. And the world must know that we are not saviors, that Christ has come. The world must know that there is good news, that the Savior has come in Jesus Christ. 
and he must increase now that he has come, and we must decrease. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great thanks that we are a creation whom you love. We thank you um, that you have created us, you have cared for us, and now you've sent your son to save us. And we thank you that he will usher in a new kingdom that is upcoming and that will come fully. And we thank you that we can rest, that we can be patient, we can rejoice um, in this world not having the world's um, burdens on our shoulders, but we can give them to you. But help us to be effective signs for you. Help us to be people who point um, to the world, uh, uh, who, who let the, pe- the world know that that, that that Savior has come into the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.